Hello, you're listening to Outspin on Nation with myself, Christian, today. And I'm very happy to be joined uh, on the phone with me by actor Rory Kelly from Red Stitches, uh, now on production of The Way Out, um, which I had the absolute pleasure of seeing last night. So thanks so much for joining us today, Rory. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, yeah. Um, so could you give us uh, a little bit of a rundown of the story as much as you can and a bit about your character and how it fits into it? And I do know that it, this is quite an involved like world that's set up within this play. So, yeah, just give us as, as much of a rundown as you can without giving yeah, too no much worry. away. Well, let's see what I can do. Uh, so the story is basically, um, it's a sci-fi western set in a pub in the outback of Australia um, in rural Victoria. And so Josephine Goldens, who's the writer, her general premise is that one of the big issues that we're going to face in the years to come is a resource crisis, uh, and we're already seeing that with the Murray-Darling Basin. So the story itself is actually about uh, there was a civil war in Australia in the not-too-distant future all over the idea of who has rights to the water, which then means who has the ability to make food and grow food, and that led to a civil war. And there was a biological attack at the end of that civil war, which is what stopped it all. But that also poisoned the land and killed a lot of the flora and fauna that Australia needs to survive. And so we've ended up in a sort of Orwellian Big Brother-esque state. But we get to follow this fantastic family of rural Victorians as they try and run a pub and uh, survive in this new world 14 years after the great big crisis. So my character uh, is a, uh, a young budding member of the ARC, who is sort of the new major party in Australian politics who more or less run the country. Uh, and I've turned up to make sure they're not up to anything shady. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, your character, because he's, what is it like, he's the youngest, um, like, person running for councillor, or he's, he's one of those? Yeah, he's, um, he's running for a seat on the council of the ARC, and he's the youngest candidate in the region, mm. which he's extremely proud of. <laughs> yeah, um, and, yeah, I did find him fairly entertaining, and, like, in, in many ways, like, in, in a good way, like, sort of very stereotypical of that, sort of, like, the very young politicians, especially, I guess, like, local politicians. I don't know if, like, there are any real-life examples of any that you might, might have based it on, like, in terms of mannerisms or anything like that. Uh, yeah, well, he's for me, he's a, a bit of a, a conglomeration of a lot of different politicians. I did hmm. watch a lot, a lot of American politics as well, as well as, like, Australia's very special brand of kind of, like, the physical way that all politicians are, are trained to use their hands so hmm. as to seem normal and human. It, it's funny that a lot of... Uh, I'm not sure how common the knowledge is, but the... When a lot of people end up in politics, one of the very first things that they get assigned to them uh, is a speech coach and a movement coach to teach them how to sound like a politician and to move in ways that people will find unthreatening, which I always think hilariously comes off as being deeply unsettling because everyone suddenly delivers speeches with the exact same hand movements and with the exact same inflections. And so Fife, I suppose, is a little bit of a, a combination of things that I've noticed in, in a number of different politicians over the years. It's mm, funny. I was actually talking about this very thing, like, earlier today on the radio. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I was just about... Because, like, obviously there are so many different, um, like, public speaking courses, you know, not just for politicians, but just for, I feel like, you know, good 
quote unquote good public speaking in general. Like, oh yeah, is, yeah. So this this idea that like this is what it means to be an engaging public speaker. <laughs> Everyone sort of like imitating this one specific, like as you said, there's one set of like gestures and intonations that means that everyone ends up sounding the same and that's anything but like humanizing or endearing really yeah it's sort of like i imagine it's kind of like if they took a poll of what everyone's favorite color was and then tried to find the exact middle ground and inevitably it ends up a brownish beige every <laughs> single time mm. yeah it's, yeah it's deeply unsettling i find <laughs> it's yeah that's a really good analogy and um and, and also sci-fi western you said right uh, yeah of, yeah i think that's a pretty good classification of the genre because i suppose your character in, we'll get to the others in a second but your character in particular has some pretty cool gadgets to play with <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes he does charlotte mm. lane just mm. basically went to town with me like mm. any silly ideas that i'd come up with she would meet it and then add two more mm which was, like, such a delight to get to do. But also, I am, like, a massive nerd. Things like uh, shows like Firefly and um, video games like Fallout mm -hmm. are just, like, that is where my happy place is. So getting to have, like, little elements of those tied into my costume that then actually make up my character has just been the coolest thing. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I found really cool about this play, because, like, obviously there's, there's lots of, like sci-fi films western films like this seems to be sort of like the story and premise that you see um on screen a lot but not too much on stage um which felt really different mm. yeah, yeah well that's actually what really attracted me to joseph's writing in the first place yeah. is that like it, it's such in some ways it's a really familiar story because as you say there's lots of films that are sort of like this tv shows that are sort of like this but from australia and on stage i've never seen anything like it like it's such a high concept idea and such like a, like a defiantly bold genre like it's not so much like towing like tiptoeing the line or anything like that just just walked in and went yeah the western sci-fi set in the outback of australia mm. if you like that great if you don't then this probably isn't for you mm. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the Melbourne references as well. I wasn't really used to that. Like, uh, these sort of sci-fi Western stories, like, referencing things like from the Street Station and the like, that also felt pretty special as an audience member. Yeah, Which, and it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Because, like, yeah. I, I think about this all the time in, like, when there's sci-fis that are set over in, in the US and they, yeah. like, they're talking about these areas that were affected by it or things that happened in these places. And because it's such an alien place to me, it may as well be fantasy made up names in some way. So it has this kind of otherness to the stories, but then actually getting people being like these horrible things happened in Melbourne at parliament steps up on spring street. And there's a part of me that suddenly goes, Oh, that's so much creepier. It's like there's something that just kind of hits home with the familiarity of mm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Alien, I think that's probably the right word to use because, you know, the, the amount of movies that show, like, New York getting attacked by aliens as well is quite, quite staggering. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's like I always think of the... Um, somebody put together a brilliant montage of all of the different movies where the White House gets blown up. Oh, uh, yeah. And there's got to be, like, hundreds of them. And mm. New York would be even more, surely. Yeah, yeah, the, the Empire State Building as well, and yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to have something that's that is a little bit more familiar. Like, and yeah. I, and weirdly, then that's uh, it. Suddenly makes me think that must be the experience that Americans have been getting to have this whole time. Yeah, that's it's an interesting point. It, I, I'm not sure if like they're just as desensitized as us, like at this point, given, <laughs> but, but at least initially, I, yeah, possibly. Um, nice. Yeah, and and as I guess also with like the accents that the cast was using in this um, in the show, like I'm pretty sure you're all. I mean, yeah, obviously, um, it's Olga McKeever, right? Who, um, yeah. yeah, she's probably the only like non-Australian sort of accent that that I heard in this show. But yeah, you know, I did happen to notice that like <laughs> none of you went American, none of you even went particularly English, which seems to yeah. be the two ways that actors sometimes go when they just kind of go into like default musical theater or like theater mode yeah yeah totally yeah. like especially when you're going to do something that's like high concept and space yeah. or like thanks to star wars space like the new frontier is american like it just yeah. is which is where it's like i found it really in the first instance sort of uncomfortable not to lean into those sort of traditional tropes right. so for like five who you know is the the stick in the mud who turns up and is basically trying to spy on not on the characters that we're gonna uh, you know learn to know and love mm. it, the first like sort of obvious otherness that we'd like to do in australia is make him english it would have been really it wouldn't have been unfamiliar at all if he walked in there with like a, a posh accent mm. uh, at all but there was something along the way of just keeping him very similar to, like, the current Melbourne dialects that mm. kind of helped what we were talking about, of, like, grounding this story very much in Australia and not making it about, like, other people against Australians. It's, it's actually getting to be like, what are we doing to each other here? Mm. Yeah, which is a very confronting thing, of course. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a thing to... I don't know, and I, I guess it's also like sort of that that slightly similar thing of like um, confronting uh, like your own prejudices versus like calling out other people's prejudices. Like you know, both both are equally important. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say like the former, the looking into your own is definitely like much harder. I would say and like scarier than looking out of the people's. So yeah, 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 definitely. Self reflection is always way more painful. Mm, definitely. Um, so, yeah, could you, uh, again, without giving too much away, but um, tell us a, a bit about this family that I guess is basically, like, just the rest of the, the cast of characters. Um, yeah. And, yeah, how, how you sort of work with them to play this, this dynamic of, well, you being, like, the ultimate outsider, I suppose, um, even yeah. if you have the spy in there. Yeah. Know, yeah, so the the Sullivans are kind of at the core of it, I suppose, which is Helen Sullivan, our our lead, and and then uh, Stuart Sullivan, her father. And so the two of these guys, they run the pub together. Helen's kind of taking over more and more, and Stu, who uh, with one arm still marries, the manages to carry around massive whiskey barrels and run the place as, as capably as ever. And then there is, of course, Claire who grew up with them and who was uh, essentially helped raise Helen. And then there's Helen's best friend, Ryan, who grew up alongside Helen. And those two are kind of like, they, they for me, are, are our little heart and soul of the show, yeah. Ryan and Helen, because you're watching these kids 
who have grown up amongst conflict and grown up amongst this war and then are having to deal with the world that ha- that they've inherited, problems that aren't necessarily theirs, but that are very much a part of the DNA of their world. Mm-hmm. And then then the last edition that we have uh, is Harry, Harry Tanner, who is a trader who moves all around the country finding reclaimed from war zones uh, in order to kind of sell them on the black market with the Sullivans to try and make life a little bit more un- uh, a little bit more bearable uh, under the framework of the the ARC, who are very much about keeping keeping people reliant on them for for food and clothing and aid in general. And so there are pretty like, it's it's a pretty interesting little world this one because it's like while it's really really high concept what what Joseph's doing like it is about how the government deals with people and how people survive in, in these massive situations. Ultimately, it also boils down to family and how, how you're able to face and deal with one another, the history that you've had together, and how you can kind of grow within the constraints that you've grown up in, which I think is a really, really fascinating kind of subject matter. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And, and also what you were talking uh, before then about, like, having to live with the consequences of events that happened before you were born. And, yeah. and also, yeah, your understanding of it being skewed by the fact that you weren't there to witness it. So, I mean, yeah, there, yeah. there, there is... Again, without wanting to give too much away, but there, there is that part, like, late in the play where your, <laughs> your very young character is um, sort of overstepping the mark and just how much he really understands about the history of... the fictional history of Australia. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, the, yeah, and I suppose one of the things that I love about that fictional history is it's something that, while it could happen, it hasn't happened. It's like it's not something that we're necessarily destined for, but there are, like, strong aspects of it that we have already been through and that we are in denial of. And Australia, like, while an amazing country, is also a country with a really dark history that, in a lot of ways we're just not willing to face head-on or to admit our parts in or to be able to investigate what it means to be in the society that we are now but with the knowledge of what's come before in a really frank and honest way. Mm. Yeah, and and I think... Yeah, I feel like there are like lots of different versions really of Australia's history that like have been taught to different generations or even just sort of different groups of people. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, depending. It's it's curated basically. So like what's left out, what's included, what's seen as worthy or uh, yeah, what, what people would like their children to know even as well, I would say. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's that yeah. thing that like, whoever is in power essentially gets to have the loudest voice in the room. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things is trying to chip away at that and kind of, especially in a place like Australia, where, as you say, there are so many different versions of the truth. It takes some genuine investigation uh, in order to be able to kind of try and find out where, like, reality actually lives. And I suppose the other thing that is a, a part of that, which it's sort of like a central question of the show, for me at least, and that I, uh, is one that I find really interesting the world over, because you see it a lot in 
politics throughout Australia and in America uh, and in all sorts of personal relationships and throughout history is that the idea of individual versus the community. It's like, what would you be willing to give to protect people that are important to you? And you see people who have either an opportunity to do great things or an opportunity to actually make a genuine change in the world, but that focus on individualism often undermines that and then makes that impossible. Like mm-hmm. Politics in the world, I find that's a, that's a theme that we run into a lot. I mean, the Trump administration is a perfect example of people knowing something's wrong, having a platform to be able to say that they believe it's wrong, but it's in their own self-interest to stay quiet, and so they do. Yeah, and I mean, you, you were talking, you, you used the word like community there as well. I guess it's also about like, if you feel like you should look out for other people, like is, is it your, you know, which other people, like is it your family or is it like your, your country, the wider community or, it, I, I, yeah, I guess yeah. In, in the, yeah, in, um, <laughs> in the way out at least, that would be the, the spy character, like that's a conflicting uh, loyalty slash like, different people who cares about but sort of like has to portray one to help the other so yeah yeah absolutely and i mean we yeah. we see it in and in, in a number of the characters where whether it's in micro decisions or much larger decisions of you having an opportunity to do something that is either morally right or to protect those closest to you right. or to do what you've been taught is right or to serve your own self-interest and so often it ends up being the more individual of those, whether it's like protect your family against the world or protect yourself against the institution. Because Fife, I mean, his character is, I find, fascinating and frustrating because he's a character who, in, in a lot of ways in parts of the story, is on a trajectory to have a really great time because he is part of a system where... If you look out for yourself, you'll thrive. If you toe the line, you'll thrive. You don't have to care about other people. And so you're not confined in the way that people who have attachments and an idea of humanity are. Mm. Yeah, that's that's always an interesting. So a lot of places sort of talk about that. Um, and they, uh, not so much with fantasy, but like it seems to be like a big. F- sorry, not so much with sci-fi, but it seems to be a big like fantasy sort of trope of you know, <laughs> this love or like evil, you know, the stronger and love always wins in the end. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like uh, looking out for yourself versus looking out for others. Um, are you stronger alone? Or are you stronger together? Yeah, entirely. Mm. I think that's sadly all we have time for. But um, thank, oh, thanks so right. much for chatting with me today. Um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, it's been really. Yeah, it's been fun. And yeah, again, really did enjoy the play last night. So definitely recommend. Well, it. thank you. Oh, <laughs> slow pleasure. Were there any last things you wanted to say um, about the show? But besides the details and everything, of course. No, not really. Like I, I suppose I'm just excited. This is um, this is Joseph's first work. And it's a pretty stellar effort. Like, you'd, you'd never know she was a first-time playwright. And the one little, like, tidbit secret <laughs> is that I found out just recently that she had actually been writing this as a novel originally. And so somewhere in the world exists, uh, like, 700-page manuscript of the original works of The Way Out. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, it would be great if that could be published one day. But yeah. I know. I can't wait to have a look at it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually, I, I can sort of see that, like this, this quite easily being a novel. But then again, well, yeah, I, just as like his last thing, I, I think one of the big strengths of um, uh, Red Stitch Actors Theatre is like that sort of very intimate like on, ensemble piece, uh, just by the virtue of like the nature of the theatre. Um, so, yeah, I do think, because this is set entirely in the pub, that that like really, really does um, work, work to its strength, I think, like restricting the setting in yeah. a way. And uh, restricting the number of people, characters you meet and people you see on stage. And yeah, just sort of like the claustrophobia of that too. Given that, you know, outside is all like, what is it? Like de- deadly gas. They have to wear gas masks yeah. when they go outside. So yeah, <laughs> it just makes it seem like smaller and smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Very mm. claustrophobic. Mm. Well, yeah, thanks so much. And oh, I would just add that's playing at Red Stitch Actors Theatre, which is on um, Rear, 2, Rear 2 Chapel Street, St Kilda, until the 24th of September, right? Yes. That's right. Still got a little while to see it. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and just head to redstitch.net for more information about that. Thanks so much again, Rory, and uh, hope you, best of luck. Hope you enjoy the rest of the season. No worries. Thanks for having me.